Welcome to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast from Houston, Texas. We hope you enjoy our English pastor, John Ryan Cantu's Sunday morning message. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Last night, there we go. Last night I was, I was uh, on my way to the gym and I, I, I popped in a, popped in like it's a cassette tape. I, I, I listened to a sermon on my phone, um, uh, Pastor Steve Furtick, and as I was reading it, he, he brought this same passage to his congregation. I was like, dang, God, you're, you're doing something. And, I mean, he, he preached it, man. He preached it. It's a little bit of a different message, but I'm glad that, you know, God is, God is doing something. That, that just made me feel kind of good about this word. Joshua 2, 1 through 8, this is what it says. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they have come to search out the land. But the women had, but the woman had taken the two men and hid them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gates When the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the forts, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Amen. We're going to stop there. We're going to hang out there for a little bit. Today we're concluding our series, Getting There. And, um, you know, we've been covering Israel's journey from the moment they got out of Egypt uh, to now. And I mean, that, that whole journey spans about five books in the Old Testament. So there's a lot of details that we didn't get to. There's a lot of good, you know, stories, a lot of in-between drama that we missed. We missed the transition from Moses to Joshua. We missed the death of Moses. We miss God getting after Moses because he disobeyed him. Um, but as I was thinking about it, I was, I was thinking to myself, the point of this series wasn't so much to, to highlight the, the, the details of the journey, but rather the journey itself. Because when you go on a journey and you come out, you don't really remember every single detail. You might not remember the names of every person that broke your heart. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you're that type of person. But normal people probably don't keep those type of tabs. Maybe you don't remember every reason that you cried or every person that made you feel some type of resentment. You know, every fight that, that you had with your spouse during that rough patch in your, in your marriage. Most of us, we just get out of the journey and we look back and we're like, man, that was a rough few years. That was, that was a tough road trip, but thank God we're finally out. And here, after 40 years in the wilderness, the people of God, they can finally look back and say, man, what a rough journey it's been. We've been through some stuff. We've been through some struggles. I mean, two generations have gone by from the moment God brought us out till now, Thank God we're about to get there. We're about to get there. We're 40 years later here in our timeline. Last week we were in Numbers chapter 13. We talked about Moses sending out the 12 spies into Canaan to check out the land. And basically the, the spies came back with a report that the land was everything that God told them it was going to be. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. There's trees everywhere. I mean, we can, we can wake up and we'll, we'll feel the coolness of the day every single morning. It's, the, it's paradise. This is where we want to be, but it's going to be impossible for us to enter it because 
to the inhabitants, we are like grasshoppers. We can't get there. And so that's basically the excuse from the spies. And, and two men speak up, Caleb, Joshua, and they basically make a case for why this is the time. They shouldn't back down. They shouldn't be afraid. But ultimately, Israel gets fearful of taking the land that God already gave them anyways. That message is called Getting Scared. You can check it out on the podcast. I encourage you to do so. But now it's 40 years later. Times are different. There's a new leader. This is a whole new generation. God told Moses in in Numbers 14, he said that none of those who disbelieved, none of those that didn't trust in me and trusted the reports of the spies would enter this land that I promised to them. We're going to wait a generation. We're going to start fresh. And this generation, they're going to think differently. They're going to be better. They're going to reason differently. They're going to be stronger. They're going to make wiser decisions. They're going to be victorious. Man, I could spend some time preaching on that. That's good stuff right there. What has God promised to you, but because you haven't positioned yourself to receive it, God is like, you know what? I'm going to wait a generation. He doesn't want it. She ain't ready. She talks about getting it. She prays about getting it. But when I present it to her, she doesn't come out and grab it. That word of financial freedom. Have you ever gotten a word of financial freedom? Yeah, I, I know some of you have. You, you don't want to raise your hand because you're not financially free yet. But, but it's a good word, right? Because God is, God is telling you, you are going to break the generational curse that is, that is just permeated through, through your family members and, and, and that, that mindset of, of poverty and just overspending all the time and just ir- irresponsible ways of, of living. All of that is going to end with you. It's going to end. You're going to break it and you're in tears and you're receiving it. You have the altar. But it doesn't happen quite like you thought it was going to happen because you haven't positioned yourself. To walk in that purpose. You're still maxing out the credit cards. You're still, you're still buying stuff you can't afford. You're not truly walking in your promise. You're walking in a fantasy. Thinking that God is just going to deliver it to you on your doorstep. We talked about that last week. God, doesn't, God can deliver you a word, but he's not going to deliver you the actual promise. You have to get up from your seat and you got to do some work. You got to take it. And if you never do that. If you're just sitting down all day waiting for God with your, with your hands open, it's never going to come. And you're going to get to a point where after waiting and waiting and waiting, you're going to miss out on the opportunity that God wants you to have. And God's going to say, you know what, maybe the next generation will be a little bit more serious. Maybe they'll want to have it. Maybe they'll be ready when, when I present an opportunity for them and they'll get out of their seats and they'll, they'll do everything that they can because they know that they cannot afford not to have the promise. This is the next generation of Israelites. They're tired of waiting in the desert. Their parents, man, they couldn't get it right. And so because of their parents' decisions, they, they have to suffer. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been nice to have been to have been born in the promised land, right? That would have been nice. Plenty of shade. You don't have to get a sunburn. Your baby can't, doesn't have to get a sunburn. There's plenty of milk and honey. There's p- plenty of fresh water, streams of water going through. I mean, it's, that's, the, that's like the American dream, right? That's like, that's like being born privileged. But no, because of the fear of the generation before them, they had to be born in the desert. So a baby comes out and he's, you know, he's crying. His mouth is open. Sand is getting in his face and his, in his mouth because, because of their parents, the decisions of their parents. Now the children have to suffer. In the Bible, this is known as a generational curse. 
when the sins of the father are passed down to the son, the weaknesses of the father, the, the mindset of the father, just like Adam passed down his sins to the next generation, generation generational curses are real. And there's sometimes they're so hard to break because you don't even realize that you have them. They're really hard to self-diagnose. Maybe other people can see it, but when you're looking in the mirror, you don't see it. And in order to get rid of generational curses, you have to have a little bit of intention. You hear what I said? You have to be intentional about it. If you want to get rid of the problems that were passed down to you from your parents and their parents, you have to, you have to be intentional about it. If your dad struggled with, with a stubborn mindset and he had pride issues and he was never wrong about anything and he wasn't teachable, you might struggle with that same mentality. Which might explain why when someone tries to correct you, you get on the defensive. You're like, hold on, I'm not wrong about this. Or when someone tries to teach you how to do something, you don't listen because you think you can figure it out on your own. In fact, I could even do it better. This might be why you have a hard time saying, I'm sorry. You don't see it. So you have to be intentional about it if you want to get rid of it. Maybe your mother, your father, they struggled. At any time, they would get depressed. They would run to food. And now that's the same issue that you have. And so you have to be intentional if you want to get rid of it. You have to recognize it. You have to work on it. You've got to pray about it for it to leave. Intention. Someone say that with me. Intention. You know, everybody knows the faults of their parents. Sometimes we don't see our own faults. Sometimes we don't realize that, man, I, I have the same issue my dad did. I have the same issue my mom did, my grandpa did. I have the same issues, me personally, I have the same issues from my grandpa on both sides. They didn't have any hair. Generational curse. <laughs> Too bad I can't be intentional about that one, man. But intention. And that type of intention is exactly what this new generation of Israelites they needed to possess if they were going to enter the land of Canaan. Fear could not be a factor anymore. Because before getting to the promised land, there was a few more hurdles that the Israelites had to jump through. And, and so this is it. Either they do or they don't. That same fear that possessed the generation before them, it can no longer be a factor here. They're about to enter a series of battles, war. Men might die. And 40 years before, the Israelites were too afraid, and so they backed down. But this is a new generation with a new mindset, with intention that every curse possessed by their fathers and their mothers was not going to get passed down to them. Intention. Maybe your dad was an alcoholic, and you saw him struggle with so many things in his life. He couldn't hold down a job. He was abusive verbally, physically. And, and so you say, you know what, that's going to end with me. I'm not going to take that with me. That stops here. Maybe, maybe your mother had so much talent to, to offer the world, but she was too afraid. She was too timid to, to, to let anyone know what she was doing. That's not going to be me. That's not, I'm going to step in to my calling. I'm going to step into my, to my purpose. You know, the difference, church, listen, the, the difference between getting there and not getting there is going to be action or inaction. That's the only difference. If you're going to get to the promised land, if you're going to get to where God has called you to be, you're only going to get there if you take action. 
Timing's not going to be a factor. Obstacles are not going to be a factor because God's going to work those out on his own anyways. It's up to you to step into it or to sit down and be afraid. That's the only difference. The same obstacles that presented themselves to Israel 40 years before were the exact same obstacles that were pressing them now. The same ones. What made the difference? Action. You're with me, right? Only thing I want for my birthday is you guys to be with me. Going back to the, the passage, Joshua sends out two men, right, to, to, to spy out the land of, of Jericho. Jericho is going to be their first target. They've got to take down Jericho. You, you know about the walls of, of Jericho when the Israelites march around the city of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down, right? That's their first mission. And so they go, these two men, and they stay with this woman named Rahab who happens to be a prostitute. I don't know why they chose to stay with the prostitute. There are some theories. You can use your imagination. But, you know, one, one theory is that I, I don't know how prostitutes think, okay? But I, I would imagine that they know how to keep quiet. They know how to keep things on the, on the DL. I imagine, you know, really angry women, wives going up to their doorstep and, and banging on the door saying, hey, where's my husband? Is he here? I know he's here. I, I don't know what you're talking about, ma'am. They probably have that, you know, as their profession, they, they've, they've learned how to keep quiet about some things, right? Rahab in particular, she knows how to hide men. The Bible says that this wasn't the first time she's had to hide men. She's skilled. She, she knows how to, how to hide people that are trying to be found, so those are some possible theories. It's also possible that she just lived in the hood. And so the two spies said, man, let's go to the hood where no one wants to go. No one asks questions. You know, you do something, you see something shady, you just, you just sweep it on the You guys know what I'm talking about, right? We are, we are, we've all been there. But it's so cool to see that God will use whomever he chooses to bring about his purpose. A prostitute, man. It doesn't matter. And so, and so God will allow evil to come into your life, into your situation, and before you start running away from it because you're like, that's not God, that's evil, that's darkness, get away from me. Stop and ask yourself, could this be God doing something in my midst? Could this be God turning around something bad to make it something good because the Bible says that he works all things together for my good? Not just the good things, not just the good situations, not just when, when the finances are good and, and when everybody's happy, all things things good and bad he works together for my benefits sometimes we're trying to run away from evil and God's right there in the midst hey hold on I'm gonna take care of this and we're running away hmm. Rahab Rahab is a lying lie she lied right she lied to the authorities a lying prostitute who's an enemy she's got three for three She's a lying prostitute on the other side, on the enemy's camp, who's commended for her faith in Hebrews 11. I, lo I, I love what, what Stephen Furtick said, Pastor Furtick, because he was, he was talking about Rahab. And he says, he says that the author of Hebrews is going down the list of the heroes of faith. And then, and he meant, you, you know, he mentions Rahab by name and, and he, commit, he spent some time on her. And then the author kind of goes through the rest. He goes through David, 
And he says, I could also go through other men like David, but you get the point. And so he's like, how are you going to mention the lying prostitute Rahab who was on the enemy's side and you're not going to spend some time on King David. That just goes to show you that God can use whoever he wants. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Now, we're not saying that it's okay to be a prostitute, okay? <laughs> right? Obviously, that probably goes without saying. But God will use whoever. She's, she's, commend, she's commended in Hebrews. Did you know that she comes from the lineage of Jesus? She comes from the lineage of Jesus. Jesus. His ancestor was a prostitute. She's also com- commended by, by James, the apostle, in his gospel. Don't tell me that God can't use ugly. Don't use your ugliness as an excuse. Don't use your darkness as an excuse saying, God, you can't use this. I'm too broken. I'm too messed up. That's an excuse I hear so much in the church. God can't use me. I'm too faulty. I'm too broken. I'm widowed. I'm, I'm, I'm divorced. I'm divorced five times. I am so messed up. Maybe God used a prostitute to show you that your ugly is not too ugly. And today, man, we, I think we have like a different mindset. We're, just, we're, so, we're so religious sometimes. Like we like think that God can't make miracles happen in dark places. God can't make miracles happen in, in a bar or, or a club. I'm not telling you to go into those places. But what I'm saying is that as religious people, we think that we can dictate what God can and cannot use. And we see someone who's covered in tattoos. He's got tattoos on his neck. He's got tattoos on his arm all across his body. And we're like, he's going to bring the word? No, I don't think so. God can't use that. Did you see what she was wearing the other day? God doesn't want anything to do with that. Oh, your church is going to have a fall festival. This isn't as much as a problem today as it was before. But I remember when churches started having fall festivals. And people would say, oh, good luck trying to explain to God how you're just sugarcoating Halloween and calling it something else. God can't use the month of October. <laughs> so what I, what I particularly love about this, we've already established God will use anything. But I love what Rahab says to these two men. It's like chilling when you read it. Verses 8 through 11. It says... Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, listen, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Did you hear what she just said, man? She just admitted that the enemy was afraid of God's people. Forty years ago, 40 years ago, the Israelites backed down because they were afraid of their enemies. Turns out their enemies were afraid of them the entire time. Talk about a missed opportunity. Forty years later, these, the enemy is still talking about the God who parted the Red Sea so that his people could get out. They're still talking about it. 
They know that their time is, is running out because the land that they're on, the land that they're walking on doesn't belong to them. It's only a matter of time before God's people come storming on their land and taking it. And they're trembling with fear. It's crazy how your enemy recognizes the power that you have that you yourself don't even recognize sometimes. The generation before, they were seeing things with their physical eyes. They weren't seeing things with divine vision. They go out and they spy the land and, and they take note of, of the giants. They take note of how big these, the, 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 the Nephilim are there. The Amorites, the Canaanites. And there's too many of them. And, and their cities are fortified and, and they're, they're just too strong for us. Had they known what they had spiritually, they wouldn't have cared about what they didn't have physically. And we're so quick, man, to forget who's on our side when we see the defensive side. Aren't we? Come on, let's be honest, man. We're so quick to remember the God who provides when we're seeing that credit card debt. When we're seeing that student loan debt. We're, we're, we're so quick to forget the God who heals when we hear about that diagnosis. We're so quick to forget when we see the, the heat that they're packing and, and the weapons that they're carrying. We've been a little nostalgic lately in the Cantu household because Layla's got, she's gotten into uh, the Lion King, which Lion King is probably one of my all-time favorite Disney movies, Melissa as well. So we're kind of, we're glad that she got into it, but she's literally watching it like every single day for like the past week, week and a half. Don't, don't judge us. That's like the only time Melissa and I can relax, Netflix and chill. Anyways, so she's watching The Lion King, and, and, and we watch it every now and then kind of in the background. And I'm, I'm reminded of, of the fearlessness of young Simba. If you recall the movie, he, he goes into, a, into the place where, where no lion, lion should ever go, right? The place where the, the hyenas hang out. Layla calls them the, the Kyrenas. And it's, it's darkness. You don't go into the darkness, right? But Simba goes and... And, and he's got his friend, his little girlfriend, Nala, with him. He's got Zazu, the bird. And, and Zazu's like, you shouldn't be here. You're going to die. You're going to get yourself killed. This is dangerous. And, and you're probably familiar with the quote, ha, I laugh in the face of danger, right? And, and maybe you, you hear Simba say that, and it's a little bit arrogant of him to say, right? It's a little bit reckless of, of a mentality because he's, he's putting himself in, in danger. But, but you've got to understand why he says it. His dad is Mufasa. His dad is, is the king. He's the man. No one dare mess with Mufasa. They say the name and the hyenas tremble. Sound familiar, right? And so, so Simba lives in that fearlessness because he knows who his father is. He's owning his status as the son of the king. Church, let me tell you, sometimes, no, not sometimes, all the time, you've got to own your status as a child of God. You've got to own that status. You've got to walk in it. You will never be able to walk in your purpose if you don't own your status. Because it takes a certain mindset. It takes a certain level of confidence to walk in your purpose. But if you never see who you are in God, you will never be where God wants you. You have to own your status. This is what stopped the first generation from taking action. This is what stopped them. They, they, knew, they knew who God was. They knew 
the God who parted the seas for them and, and the God who made a way for them and, and the God who promised to, to deliver them from the hands of their enemy. They, they knew who that was. What they failed to realize was who they were in him. But it's crazy because the enemies saw it. The enemies recognized it. Their enemies heard about this God and they heard about, uh, 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 about the people of God and they trembled because they knew that if the people of God made way towards them, they were going to have to answer to God. But that first generation didn't own their status, man. What a shame. What a shame. They missed out on their purpose because they, missed, they, they forgot to recognize who they were. And church, when you tell God, and, and, and young people, if we got young people in here, listen, man, when you tell God, God, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I can't say what you're asking, what you're wanting me to say. I can't go where you want me to go. It's impossible. The giants are too big. The obstacles are too many. There's too much red tape. There's too many people telling me that I can't do it. I'm too afraid of them. But maybe that same enemy that you're afraid of is terrified of you. Maybe that same enemy that you don't want to go near will begin to back off the more you approach him. Something that I learned in Colorado one time at a camp is that if you have an encounter with a bear, you're supposed to do one thing, one thing. Remember one thing, okay? If you ever have an encounter with a bear, don't show fear. That's kind of hard to do, right? If I'm face-to-face with the, with the bear, I'm probably going to, like, like, pee my pants. Just TBH. But, but they say if you come in contact with the bear, don't show any fear. In fact, you've got to make yourself look bigger than the bear. You put your hands up. You stand on a rock. Uh, anything that's going to make you look taller, more aggressive than the bear, you, you give out some roars. And you, you intimidate the heck out of that bear. That's the only way that he, he might get away. It's the only way, because you and I both know that with one swipe of his paw, we're dead. And so if I'm smart enough, and I know that I only have one chance to scare off the bear by just intimidating him, it's either I do that or or he eats me for lunch, right? And so it's really a game of outsmarting the bear, because I can't physically beat him, but I can make him think that I could beat him. And now, let's give your enemy a little bit of credit. Your enemy is smart. Sometimes he outsmarts us, but he's not stronger than you are. He might be able to beat you because he outsmarted you, but he's never going to beat you because he overpowered you. Because he knows that if he can't intimidate you, he knows that if he can't succeed and making you scared and scaring you off outside of your purpose and running you away from where God wants you, he knows that if you come marching towards him, you're going to plow right through because you're stronger and because your weaponry is a lot greater than his because you have a God on your side and because you're owning your status. So his only strategy is to scare you, to make you look bigger than he really is. So we have to be aware of one thing, church, that we wouldn't want the bear to know. Your enemy is more afraid of you than you are of it. You've got to own that status as a child of God 
who's got your back, who's not going to fail you, who's going to sustain you, who's going to empower you, who's going to strengthen you, who's going to give you hope, who's going to give you rest, who's going to give you peace. That's who we are as a, as a children of God. And I'm going to walk in that status. I know who I am. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. Am I talking to the children of God or am I talking to people who are like, I don't know, Ryan. It sounds good. I mean, yeah, you make a good case. Yeah, the bear was a cool illustration, but I don't know. Man, slap you with the Bible, man. You got to own your status. Own your status as a child of God. And if he says he's going to get you places, you might not know how. You might see a, a giant in front of you, but your giant is only making himself appear bigger than he really is. You don't have to be bigger than the giant. The one who's with you has to be bigger than the giant. That's all it is. Own your status. Like young Simba. I know who my daddy is. Mufasa. You ain't going to get by Mufasa. I'm going to end here. I'm going to have Will come up. 40 years. 40 years before all of this. The spies were sent out from Moses, right? We already, we already talked about this. And, and they came back with a report that it was just, it was impossible. The enemies are too big. They're stronger than we are. They're fearless. There are too many of them. The Bible even says that to them we seemed like grasshoppers compared to them. It's interesting to me that that was a self-diagnosis. The enemy never said that. The, en- the enemy never said, you look like a grasshopper. No, that was, that was the first generation of Israelites who said, we look like grasshoppers to them. And they come back with this report that it's impossible. We can't do it because they're too mighty. I want you to compare that report with the report that these two spies came back with 40 years later. This is where it all And this is where we end the series, okay? It's simple. If you read Numbers 13, I mean, they they go, it's like like a laundry list of things that that disqualify the Israelites. They're too big. Their cities are fortified. There's too many of them. This, this, and that. We look like grasshoppers. And I bet you Moses is reading this. He's like, man, I guess it doesn't look very good. And Caleb and Joshua are like, let me see this. This isn't it. This is nothing. This is nothing. We can do it. We can rip this paper up and, and we, can, we can make way because God made a way for us. We can do it. But their fear cripples them. We need to have that mindset of a new generation. We're right here. These two spies, they come back. It's right there in verse 23. It says, then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and they passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, look at this. This is worth highlighting. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, someone say, and also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. You get that? So whenever you're contemplating whether or not to take action, and move forward into your purpose. All you have to do is remind yourself 
the Lord has given me this land. The Lord has given me. He's given me this. This belongs to me. And also, side note, everyone who's going to stand in my way melts away at the thought that I'm coming for them. You got to walk in that, church. You got to walk in that. You got to own your status of who you are and what God wants to give you. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. I want to pray for you right there where you are. We're going to close out the series. If there's anyone that needs prayer this morning, I'm going to ask that you come forward. If you need prayer, if you have uh, a prayer request, if something's going on in, in your life, in your family, and, and you, you want prayer, um, come up and, and I'll, I'll lay hands on you. But if not, I'm going to pray for you right there where you are. And I want you to begin to call out to God. And I want you to begin to think about those curses, those things that have been passed down from generation to generation that cripples people from getting into their purpose. And you're saying, you know what, that's not going to, that, that ends with me. I'm not going to have it. Because if I have it, I might give it to my kids. And if my kids have it, they might give it to their kids. I have to be the breaking point. And so right there where you are, just begin to cry out to God. Just begin to cry out to God. Just, just you and him, just speak one-on-one with God. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church, my God, this beautiful congregation, Father. I thank you, my God, because I know that there is a vision that every single one of them carries with them, Lord. I know there is a promise, my God. I know there is a promised land that you're trying to get them to get to, my God. But there's so many excuses. There's so much fear. There's so much mentality, my God, that that does not belong, my God. And it's going to cripple them before they even get there, Father God. I pray right now that you make a way. You make a way for every single person in this room, Lord. Every single person in this room, Father God, that they take hold of a brand new mindset. That they break the curse, my God, handed down from generation to generation. In the name of Jesus, it ends right here. It ends today. I don't want it anymore. My kids aren't going to have it. They're going to walk in their purpose. I'm going to walk in my purpose. I'm going to get to where God wants me to get to. I'm going to see the promised land. I'm not going to miss this opportunity. Come on, begin declaring to yourself so that you believe it and that you convince your spirit of it. Holy Spirit, we trust in you, God. We trust in you, God. Thanks for tuning in to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast. Join Pastor John Ryan Cantu every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For directions or more information, visit us at primeraiglesia.org. We'll see you next time and hope you have a blessed week.